Well, it's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 18 today as we continue our series in the Garden in Reverse. And um, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you this morning. As we begin our morning this morning, I thought I would just ask this question. Have you ever been somewhere that you wanted just to kind of go anonymously or fly under the radar, all right? Maybe you've just gone to the gym and you feel a little disheveled and you feel like, I've got to go grocery shopping. And this is the perfect time to do it, right after a gym workout. But I don't want anybody to see me. So you wear the baseball cap and you put your shades on and you kind of hope that you won't run into Pastor Heath or anybody from the church, right? And, uh, and so that is one scenario. Or maybe you've been at a party and uh, you see someone at a party that you know you should know their name at that party, but you can't remember their name for the life of you. And so you purposely try to avoid that person because you can't remember their name. Nick's with me. He's like, yep, absolutely, I get you. And uh, you just anonymously try to avoid even any encounter with them. Or perhaps uh, you just cried your eyes out at a movie. Anybody do that at a movie? Just cry your eyes out at a movie? And uh, you're like, you just wait for everyone to leave the theater, for everyone just to dismiss and then you leave the theater because you don't want anybody to see your bloodshot eyes, right? And so anybody with me on that one? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, such was my desire one year ago when I walked through the doors of this church, Valley Community Church, on Super Bowl Sunday. I had just spent a weekend with Jesus in Monterey, and I was just seeking God's heart and will and direction for me and my family as we were beginning to sense a stirring in our heart that God was doing a new thing and leading us to a new chapter in our journey of service to him. And so I, sensing the Lord was calling us to a new thing, was the night before on a Saturday night, Googling this website called churchstaffing.com. And I discovered this church known as Valley Community Church that was looking for an executive pastor. And that's how I sensed the Lord was leading me. And so I thought, you know what? I'm in Monterey. I live in Sacramento. I can take the 680 up and stop by this church on the way and just kind of secret shop it and see what God's doing at Valley Community Church. Well, you kind of know the rest of the story because I'm up here preaching to, to you today. But uh, from that perspective, my, my goal was to be incognito, to slip through those doors, to not be recognized as a pastor or anything and just worship with God's people, hear an incredible message and slip out. And so church had already started. I got a parking spot right in front. I slipped in. I sat right around here somewhere and uh, was enjoying some worship. And then they called for this meet and greet time. And I thought, oh, no, this, I'm undercover. I'm incognito. Like, what am I going to do? And I start to sweat it out a little bit. And it was not just like turn around and say hello to your neighbor. It was three minutes in length. And I thought, all right, I'm going to be found out right now. But phew, I made it through the meet and greet, heard an incredible message from Pastor Heath. And, uh, and again, my goal was to be incognito because I hadn't talked to my wife about how the Lord was leading in my heart and all this stuff. Nor had I told the church elders and the leadership of our church how the Lord was directing us. And so at the end of the message, my goal, at the end of the service, my goal is just to slip out these doors, get in my car, and drive home and watch the Super Bowl. But as I slipped out of the pew here in this aisle, a gentleman by the name of Bud Engel stopped me dead in my tracks. How many know Bud? All right. Yes, everyone knows Bud. And so Bud stopped me right in the middle of that aisle and he started firing all these questions. Is this your first time here? Yes, it's my first time here. He goes, where are you from? I'm like, well, I live in Sacramento. He goes, why did you come to church here today? 
And I'm like, well, because I heard some great things about God doing here at Valley Community Church, and I just wanted to worship. I was in Monterey. I thought it would be a great stop along the way. And uh, he kept pressing in more and more questions. And so, and then I see this really happy guy with a big smile on his face walking down the aisle known as Pastor Heath, and he's walking down this way. And Bud continues to press more questions. He's like, well, what do you do in Sacramento? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And like, oh, wow, like, what church are you from? And I try to avoid that question because I don't want to break any association to the church I'd come from. And literally, he's like, hey, Pastor Heath, we got a pastor from Sacramento. Come over here and meet him. And I'm like, caught, like caught, I am found out, right? Well, I imagine this was much of the dilemma that Peter encountered when he was in the garden and began to follow Jesus to his trials. That there was this quandary that he had, that he had this desire to be with Jesus, but ultimately to be under the radar as his follower. And I think sometimes this is the tension that we feel here. And we're going to look at a powerful section of John's gospel today that kind of unpacks this journey and this kind of tension that Peter experienced as he followed Jesus to trial. And we have the text in John 18. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It's a powerful section, again, uh, that really captures this idea of this dilemma that Peter encountered that he wanted to follow And so he had just seen Jesus be arrested. This is the scene that leads us to John 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus had prayed for his disciples that his disciples would be one as he and the Father are one. And Jesus begins then, uh, Judas comes into the garden. That's where the scene is set up, that he gets, he's betrayed, right? And so he's betrayed and, and then leads, and Peter begins to follow Jesus to trial, and this is the text that we come to in verse 15. It says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are not one of the disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. Drop down to verse 25. Now Simon was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of a man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Would you join me as we talk to God together as we go into this passage? Father God, we thank you for just this opportunity that we get to understand more of your desire and plan and will for our lives through your word. And Father, as we look to Peter's story today, I pray that we would glean uh, lessons that would be helpful in transforming us more into the image and likeness of your son. And so to that end, we pray that you would be glorified. Lord, that we would just, uh, you would open our our minds and our hearts to receive what it is that you would have us to learn this day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Amen, amen. 
What I want to do today is tell Peter's story in three scenes that come from John 18 and also John 21. And really it kind of, there's a lot of parallel to these stories and a lot of emphasis on, on this word three, which we're going to talk about here. But as I mentioned really that we're beginning to move from the Garden of Gethsemane to the trial of Jesus, okay? And we saw last week that P Pastor Heath opened up an incredible passage of the first part of John 18 for us. And that's really the first scene that I want to unpack for us this morning again and remind us where this is all stemming from and coming from in John 18 where Jesus is in the garden. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying for his disciples. And as he is praying, it says here in uh, verses 3 through 8 that Judas came to the garden gu uh, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus, knowing that, that was what was going to happen, went out and asked him, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And then they replied, he replied, I am he, he said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. And when Jesus said, I am he, they fell back and fell to the ground. My comm group had a great conversation just with that very phrase. So can you imagine being there in that moment and seeing the, the soldiers fall to the ground when Jesus says, I am he? And again, he asked him, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus said, I told you, I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. What, as Heath shared last week, is, is really what John is doing in this story, is that he is really bringing us back to the Garden of Eden. And these declarations of Jesus to say, I am, he is in a sense showing us that Jesus is the last Adam, the fulfillment of Messiah in Genesis 3, that he is the I am, the promised one who would bring hope and life to a fallen world. That he is the Alpha and the Omega, the sovereign one, that he is the fulfillment of every promise that God had brought up to this point. And not only does he affirm it once, but he affirms it not only twice, but three times he says, I am he. I am. I am. And because Jesus claims to be I am, the soldiers are offended by this, and this is why they've come to arrest him, because of his claim to be God. And so in defense of Jesus, Peter draws his sword in his impetuous, impulsive ways, and he cuts off the soldier's ear, right? And it says here that Simon Peter, and this is verses 10 and 11, Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? This was not the first time that Peter had acted impulsively. This is not the first time that we see impetuous Peter that just reacts to situations, right? But this was the Peter in this moment. He wanted to defend his Lord and his Savior. But what's interesting here is that John specifies who the person is. That he is a servant of the high priest and his name is Malchus. 
Now, I don't know why John gives that particular detail, the name of Malchus himself. Maybe he was like the Dwayne Johnson of his day, the rock, you know, or maybe the Chris Hemsley of the day, a guy you didn't want to mess with. I don't know, but there has to be some significance, and I think we're going to see the significance of that here in a few minutes. So this is the backdrop of what's happened in the story that leads us to the next scene, and that scene is scene two, the gate. It says here in verse 15 that Peter followed Jesus And so did another disciple who was known to the high priest. And so they followed Jesus to the gate. And we know this other disciple to be John. John is a humble man. He doesn't want to necessarily call himself out in the story. But he is the other disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And they followed Jesus to the courtyard. Now we see from other gospel accounts of the story that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, that the other disciples, in fact all disciples, fled and they forsook Jesus. But somehow John and Peter, who gets a little bit of a bad rap for denying Christ, right, had the courage to muster up this courage to ultimately follow Jesus. And it says in Mark 14, 54, that he followed him from afar. Again, he was a follower, but the tension was he didn't want to be noticed as his disciple. Much like I didn't want to be noticed as a pastor walking through the doors of this church. But that was the tension, that he wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't want anybody to know about it. He wanted to, be, uh, to observe what was happening, but he didn't want to do it in a courageous way, but more in a cowardly way. And this was the tension. And then we see that he's at the gate. And in verse 16, we learn that Peter is first outside the gate of the courtyard. John evidently had marched right into the courtyard because he was known to the high priest. And he was known in that day as a follower of Jesus. But somehow Peter stayed at the gate. And John basically went back to get Peter and to bring him into the courtyard. But as he goes to the gate, this is where we encounter Peter's first denial of association as the disciple of Jesus. And, uh, and it says here that uh, the servant girl approached Peter and asked, you aren't one of the man's disciples too as well? And he replied, I am not. I am not. Now we can only guess what caused the gatekeeper to maybe ask that question. Perhaps it was because of his association with John the disciple. Perhaps it was because he was nervous and fidgety and just kind of had this guilty look on his face or his facial expressions. I don't know. But a mere servant girl asked him this question, and it was enough to topple Peter and deny Christ. A mere servant girl. Isn't that how temptation comes our way? It comes from just unexpected places, right? When we're not expecting it from unexpected people. It catches us off guard and it surprises us. But on the contrary, formal challenges rarely catch us off guard because we're prepared, we have a defense we know and we're prayed up and we're ready and we've kinda got our ducks in a row, right? But this mere servant girl asks if he is one of the disciples to which Peter says, I am not. I wonder if Peter had already forgotten what Jesus had done in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
that he had forgotten that Jesus spared his life from arrest because he says, it's not them that you're looking for, it's me, arrest me. I wonder if Peter had already forgotten that Jesus predicted that he would deny Christ three times and reality and forgotten what he said in response to what Peter or what Jesus said. He says, I will lay down my life for you. The courage and the boldness of Peter shrank under the weight of a girl's question of association. Are you his disciple as well? The second denial comes in verse 25. As Jesus' trials progressed from Annas to Caiaphas, the text says that Peter continued to warm himself by the fire. And standing by the fire, in fact, I want to just lock in for a moment by that fire because that fire is pretty significant. It says it's a, it's a charcoal fire, as verse 18 was referring to. I love the smell of charcoal. Anybody with me on charcoal? Like, it reminds me of barbecues and of fun things around summer and hot dogs and hamburgers and tri-tip. I, I love a good old charcoal fire. And all of a sudden, everyone's salivating with me like, all right, it's Super Bowl Sunday. You can enjoy some of that. But, uh, but with that, we see that there's a fire. And that's, that's important because it's a clue to what's to come later in the story. And we'll come back to that. But again, Peter is asked the question, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he, he denied it by saying, I am not. I am not. Finally, in verse 26, again, it's brought on not but an interesting question, and not really in a denial of an association as his disciple, but in a different context. And it says here, did I not see you in the garden with him? him. Did not see you in the garden with him. Now here is the dilemma of this question, right? Is that it is asked by a relative of Malchus, the very one who Peter had just cut off the ear of a few hours later. This was a relative of Malchus. And I imagine that Peter's like, how did the story spread so fast that you got the idea that I was the one that cut off his ear, but he was in the garden. He says, were not you in the garden with him? And it caught Peter off guard. And, and at this point, I imagine that Peter is really, really scared. Because it's really not about an association with Jesus. It's because he could be tried and arrested for this violent act that he did against a servant of the high priest. And so he has to calculate and, 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 and kind of address the situation. And he says in a very much flurry thing, he says, I am not. I am not. He denied being even with Jesus. Not being his follower, but denied being with in the presence or nearby Jesus in this moment. In fact, Matthew and Mark both say that Peter cursed and swore that he did not know Jesus. I can't imagine what that would look like, but I imagine there is probably some rage and just some anger associated. I am not. And that was the scene. And in that moment, what happens immediately is, is that a rooster crowed, and he was reminded of Jesus' words, before a rooster crows three times, you will deny me. I can only imagine in that moment the shame and the guilt 
that Peter felt. One other gospel account says that Peter, immediately when he said that, Jesus looked at him. Wow. The one that you just betrayed knew it in the chaos of that moment and basically said and looked at Peter and the shame and the guilt. I mean, the reality of that moment was like three strikes and you're out. That's what Peter was experiencing. But the beautiful part of this story is that's not the end of the story. That Jesus didn't just leave Peter there to suffer in his shame and his guilt and his misery, knowing that he had completely blown it. This is exactly what Jesus said he would do. But we see a glimmer of grace in scene three in John 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or you can look at the air Bibles on the screen behind me in a moment here. But what had happened in this context is that Jesus had suffered and died on the cross. He had been resurrected into new life. And he, this is his third appearance to the disciples post-resurrection. And the, Peter, basically the scene is being set that Peter wants to go fishing, much like he did. He was a fisherman. And he said, I'm going to go out to the Sea of Galilee and I'm going to go fish and some other disciples followed him, and they went out on the boat, and they basically fished all night, and they didn't catch a thing. But the text says, early in the morning, uh, it was early in the morning, and they heard this voice cry out to them. And he's like, hey, guys, did you catch any fish? And they're like, no, we didn't catch anything. It's like 100 yards away, you know, just think about football fields. Like, they can't see Jesus. They can't recognize him. At that moment, they don't recognize his voice. And he's like, hey, throw your nets to the right of the boat. And so they throw their nets to the right of the boat. And they haul in this big old catch of fish. And the text says that John said to Peter, it is the Lord And this is what Peter did in verse 4. He says, as soon as Peter said that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and threw himself into the sea to go after and run and be with Jesus. Certainly, this is not the action of a man who is experiencing guilt and shame. He recognized something, and God was stirring something in his heart. But God was doing something beautiful here. Um, And if you remember this story here, does it remind you of any other story in the Bible? Jump back to Luke chapter 5, when Jesus was just calling his disciples. And Jesus slipped into a boat, and he told Peter to push out to the deep waters. And Peter said to Jesus, I've been fishing all night, I haven't caught any fish. He goes, throw your nets to the right of the boat. And they hauled in this big old catch of fish. And Jesus had said to Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. This is the same situation. This is the same sea. This is the same boat. These are the same fishermen. This is the same Lord on the same shores of Galilee. And Jesus is setting up a beautiful scene, a beautiful scene. And what we see here is that when they got out of the boat, verses 9 through 11, 
out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. A charcoal fire. Remember that? In the courtyard? A charcoal fire. I would imagine that that charcoal fire was triggering up some memories and some thoughts for Peter of his denial, right? On the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Conjuring up memories of Jesus calling him into service. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus is basically and his providence and his grace and his love and mercy and compassion for his disciples is setting up a beautiful scene in which Peter will be reminded of God's extravagant love for him. And near the charcoal fire along the shores of Galilee, Jesus says this, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jesus, do you love me more than these? Referring to his disciples. And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said back to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is the garden in reverse. Peter goes from denying Jesus to declaring Jesus, I love you. And these three basically declarations echo the three denials of Peter back in the courtyard. That's the magic of the three. They just simply echo what had gone back, and it was by a fire and near the Sea of Galilee, all reminders of God's providential grace and love for his disciples. In this very moment, Peter has been reinstated, recommissioned into service for the Lord. God isn't using the denials against him. He's reinstating him to his original purpose and plan for his life. And that is one of the major implications of the story, is that we serve and worship of God a second chances. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah. He restores and he redeems and he reverses the curse. Much like he did for Peter, he longs to do for you and for me to forgive and to redeem and to restore us into right relationship with him, to help us live out our mission. That no matter what we've done or, or what we haven't done or whatever, that he loves us unconditionally. You see, Jesus not only redeems us to call us into relationship with him, but he sets us on a mission as well. Much like he did for Peter when he said, feed my sheep, he longs to do as we simply live out his great commission today as his apprentices to go and make apprentices of Jesus to fulfill his plan and purpose for our lives. 
But somehow we get stuck in our identity. Somehow we get stuck in our past. Somehow we believe the lies over the truth of God himself and his word that he is for us and that he loves us and he's redeemed us and restored us into right relationship. And we think we're not good enough or that I could never measure up to God's standard for my life. And so therefore we resign to the fact that I have to somehow prove myself to God rather than accept his grace and love and compassion in my life. Yet we fail to remember that the Bible is filled with imperfect people used by a perfect God. The Bible is full of stories of imperfect people. Just think about it. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was a liar. Uh, Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David, a man after God's own heart, was an adulterer and a murderer. Jonah ran from God. And Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Three times. All of those great men and women of the faith could have said, you know what, I've blown it. God can never use me. But somehow God restored them to fulfill his purpose and plan in their lives. And the same God that did that for them wants to do that for you and me. I was thinking about this morning just a story that came to mind. A buddy of mine texted me and it reminded me of his story. I tend to get a little emotional when I share the story. I already feel the tears welling up in my eyes. Um, but when I was on staff with an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now known as CRUV at Sacramento State, which is where I met my wife, Jennifer, there was a young man in our ministry that had great, great potential. And I knew that God was going to use him in significant ways. But he struggled with a performance idea of God or theology of God that I have to do certain things in order to get God's favor and love in my life. He couldn't rest in the fact that he was simply loved by God because of the cross of Jesus. And I asked him one day, I said, Matt, would you be willing to do a devotional for our, our prayer time, which is in the university center at 6.30 in the morning, and there's like 10 people that show up. You're like, would you just come and just do a devotional, just share a couple things about how God's working your life or what he's teaching you in the word. And you thought I had asked him to give, you know, like the State of the Union address or something like that from his response. But Matt struggled so much with the fact that God couldn't forgive him for things that he had done in his past, that he didn't feel he was worthy enough to be used by God in that way on that morning to about 10 college students to give a devotional. And God began to shape this young man's heart and began to move and groove. And I knew that God had great plans for him. He just couldn't see it because he couldn't rest in the fact that God loved him and that God loved him regardless of what he had done or what he was doing. And so as he began to discover more and more of God's grace and love for his life, uh, Matt uh, began to sense really a leading and a direction in his life and uh, ultimately uh, became, he's now a senior pastor at a church in San Diego. But one of the cool stories is this, that one day Matt texted me a picture of a stadium in Malawi, Africa, where there was about four or 5,000 African people in the stadium all gathered to hear Matt preach the gospel. This man who didn't think himself worthy enough to share a devotional for 10 people, 10 college students in the university center, was now preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to over 4,000 people in Malawi. And many, many people came to faith in Christ because of that. 
I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've done or haven't done. I'm not suggesting that you need to go preach to you know, thousands of people in Malawi, Africa. But so often we make excuses for God's movement in our lives. We deny the reality of God's work in our lives because we're afraid of being associated with Jesus and the implications of that. Or we don't feel like we measure up because of what we've done in our past. But the beauty is that God wants to take our, our story and make it his glory. He wants to take our mess and make it his message. And Peter did not allow his past to define him. He did not allow his denials to define him. Because he moved on to not only declaring Jesus and saying to him, I love you. But later we see in Acts chapter 2 that Peter was used on the day of Pentecost to preach the gospel. And over 3,000 people were added to the kingdom that day. To denying a servant girl that he was associated as a disciple of Jesus to proclaiming that he is the Lord, the Messiah, the great I am, and the giver of life. The difference for Peter, I think, are two things. Was the tears of Peter and the cross of Christ. The tears of Peter and the cross of Christ. If Peter had only shed tears but had not seen the cross, he would have basically only known despair. If Peter had only seen the cross, but had not shed tears, he would only experience arrogance. But because Peter experienced both, he knew redemption. He knew redemption. Maybe you're here today and you're in need of a second chance. You're in need of God's grace in your life. Maybe you've been trying to do things your own way and your own will and denying Christ's work in your life and today's the day that you need to say yes to him. Or maybe you have been making excuses for how God is working in your life, what he's calling you to be about, to fulfill his purpose and plan in your life and you've been denying that reality. And maybe it's time for you to say yes to him, to receive his grace for how you continue to deny his work in your life and to be all in for him. Wherever you are in the journey, I just want to encourage you that God loves you, that he has a plan for you, that he wants to give you a hope in the future, and he is the God of second chances. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you love us. No matter what we've done or where we're at, Lord, you accept us, you love us, and you've come to forgive us. And just like Peter experienced the cross and forgiveness, Lord, you bring that to us as well as a reminder of your grace and your love and your compassion. Because of the cross, we have hope. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, as we move into this time of communion, that you would uh, just continue to stir and speak to our hearts as we go into worship, Lord, that you would continue to move and speak to our hearts as we would surrender our will completely to you 
and pray, not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,